Welcome to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. In this episode, you'll hear me, Jenny Scholick, in conversation with principal dancer Sophianne Silve. This interview was recorded on February 18th, 2018, before a performance of Program 3, Distinctly San Francisco Ballet. Hope you enjoy. I'm really pleased to get to introduce you all to Sophianne Silve, who joined the company as a principal dancer in 2008. Prior to her time at San Francisco Ballet, she danced um, in Germany at the Dutch National Ballet and at the New York City Ballet, and has danced in pretty much all of the major repertoire, both classical and contemporary. She is also principal guest faculty at San Francisco Ballet School. So, welcome. Thank you. Hold her applause. So as I just gestured to, you've had a really incredible career both in Europe and here in the United States. So I wondered if you could start by telling us a bit about what brought you here to San Francisco. So I was already in the country, which is the USA. So um, after being in New York for a few seasons, I wanted to really get into um, teaching and I wanted to go back to a more varied rep um, as a city ballet is mostly concentrated on Jerry stuff, Robbins, and uh, Balanchine. I just felt like it was time to go back and do some more varied stuff. So San Francisco was the place. And I wanted to teach, so um, I basically um, took the job as a principal dancer and guest of faculty. So I wanted to be able to do all this while still dancing and not just kind of wait around. And I like to be on the other side, meaning on the front of the room with uh, kids. And, you know, you'll see... A lot of the kids in the company dancing today that were in the trainee program or in the school at some point. So it's kind of nice to see the end result of that. And I'm a very small, you know, molecule part of that. But it is so fun to see you. I get to work down on the school floor. And so I get to walk by every once in a while and watch you teaching class, which is wonderful. So this week here, we're performing two programs. Program two, Bright, Fast, Cool, Blue, which you'll see this afternoon, and Program 3, Distinctly San Francisco Ballet. Uh, Sophie, can you tell us a bit about which ballets you're dancing over the next week and a half? So I am doing Serenade, The Wool's Girl. Uh, I mean, I guess I've done every role (laughs) beside the boys, I guess. I've done everything. I could actually come back as a blueberry. You know, we call the men blueberries. Um, That could be my next move. Um, uh, I'm doing Ibsen's and uh, Rodeo. So three out of six. Yeah. Um, so to start with Serenade. Yes. It's one of my favorites. I think it's many people's favorite. Yeah, um, choreographed by George Balanchine in 1934. It is, um, Elise Bourne told me last week, one of the most danced ballets in the world, if not the most danced. Yeah, probably. I mean, it just kind of works. Um, it's kind of amazing to see a 1934 ballet that was actually originally made for a school. So... Uh, he basically was like, okay, these are the people I have. I'm just going to do that. And that it's standing the the time, I, I think, is quite amazing. And like I said, I, I've done Russian. I've done Angel. I've done The Walls. Uh, like I said, I'm just missing be, be, being a blueberry boy. Um, I would look good in a dance belt. Uh, uh, you know, the whole gender bender. Like, let's just do it. Um, I think it's just um, there's something of... Uh, a sense of spirituality, whether you believe it or not. I think seeing those girls standing with same costume, looking at that, you know, stage right, um, there's something very um, appealing to that. And 
it's still standing. I mean, you could call it love, you could call it a calling. Um, it just works. So no wonder it's a lot of people uh, favorite. And the girls get to dance, you know, unlike, you know, being in a court of ballet in a big classic, like, you know, she's there, one leg, where they basically, you know, stand most of the time. Uh, they get to actually do stuff. So it's as challenging for them that it is for the principals. Do you remember when you first saw Serenade or first danced in it? Gosh, uh, I don't know. I'm 102, so it's a long time ago. Um, I think the first time we did it was probably back at the Dutch National in Amsterdam. I was probably 15 when I joined the company. Um, and I was doing Russian. And so I remember the first time we put it all together, because, you know, the principals rehearse separately, and then you put everybody together to make sure traffic happens <laughs> without colliding with people. And I thought, gosh, this is interesting. And I've always had, like, a, um, I don't know, sort of a, a connection to Mr. B's work. Uh, it always felt comfortable. Um, I guess in retrospect, I think it's because it's so musical that I feel very comfortable when the choreography fits the music. And it's very difficult when it's not. So um, he doesn't have that issue. So it, it always felt like, yeah, we, we, we could do this. And everybody enjoys it. There's, I don't think, uh, I think even the men who don't do very much, because it's kind of like a, a lady's world in Mr. B's eyes anyway, um, you know, he would like be very adamant on like, you know, you take the girl's wrist with two fingers, you don't squeeze their hands so they don't look like they've had like some kind of disease. Uh, he was very adamant about that. And I think um, even the men that don't do very much actually enjoy watching the girls. And so I, I think that was the first time. And I think it was probably Pat Neary back then. Yeah. So you've danced, you said all three of the men? Yes. What? How are they different from one another in your experience? Well, the Russian girl is usually a jumper. So hopefully you have jumping girls doing that. Um, and she takes along the Russian girls and there's a whole section, you know, inviting each other to dance, bouring around. And it's kind of like that tremble, you know, everybody's bouring, which is your feet on the ground. And um, that's very attractive. The angel is, is kind of like a, more of a loner. She comes in, she has her entrances. And the walls girl is the is the couple. And so it's been very nice to um, visit all those roles at different times in my life. And it's nice to get back to Mr. B's work always. How does it change as you come back? Does it change as you come back to it over and over through your career? Well, I think it changes because you um, obviously grow and mature. I mean, hopefully you do. Uh, your body changes. So there are, you know, Russian girl is really fun. But it's hard because you have to jump a lot. And so it's kind of nice to maybe go out there and do something a little bit more lyrical. So I guess it also depends a little bit on the mood of where you're at at that moment. Um, for a very long time, I was very happy to do the angel and take the boy away. I was like, you know, this like Darth Vader kind of uh, thing. You know, it's like get it out of your system. And, um, and the waltz is a little bit more where I am now. It's kind of like that's where I want to be. You know, um, and he lives eventually, but so is life. So, so in kind of strong contrast to Serenade, which is this sort of iconic non-narrative work, you're also working on Ibsen's House over the next couple of weeks, right? Which is Val Paroli choreographed in 2008 and takes on Henrik Ibsen's five of his plays and mm -hmm. sort of distills them down to these characters, these central characters. 
What's it like kind of transitioning back and forth between those works? Well, um, unlike Balanchine, where you don't need to act because basically the choreography, the costumes, everything is kind of done. You don't have to add more. Um, you know, it's like you don't need to act to spice it up. I think in Val's, particularly this ballet, you kind of have to look into yourself on what you want to do with that because it's such a complex little story for the time. Again, if you if you look at the play and the time it was written and seeing those women leave those relationships with families, it, it was pretty um, staggering for the time. And so to put it back in that concept and translate that, you have to do a little bit of... Uh, research within how do you translate that on stage which of the women do you perform which of the plays i'm the doll's house you're the doll's house yeah. nora mm. do you go in and read the play how do you how do you prepare yes for i read the like play that? i watched the movie which they did a pretty good job on doing that and you know we've done it quite a bit because this was done for the 75th uh, it was originated by another ballerina, so I took that along when I joined. And we did it in New York, we came back. So, you know, we've been revisiting that with Val, and he's very open, which is always wonderful when you have the choreographer that's alive. Uh, the whole point of making new works is to actually collaborate. So, uh, trying to uh, figure things that could translate better as also we mature. And um, yeah, you kind of like to have to sink it in. And really, it's to try to do the acting of putting that century back. And that's not an easy thing because, you know, now everybody has a smartphone, which is, you know, hey, you know, beep, beep, you have a text. Um, you can't, there's nothing of that. It's all about um, dynamics on how you relate to your partner, how you relate to other people on stage. And um, it's short, so you have to be concentrated on how much of that you, you have to do. So uh, this was not in the set of questions I told you would talk about, but you brought it up just then. Do you feel that social media, smartphones, that sort of technology is impacting what we do on this stage here? Does it change how dancers are relating to their audiences? I do think it does change the world, for sure. I think some of it is great. I mean, the fact that people can communicate from around the world has really... I mean, I remember, you know, it's going to sound really bizarre, but pay phones, it's like... Do you guys remember pay phones? Where you're like, where's that quarter? Um, you know, now it's like, where's the network, right? Like, I don't have connection. Uh, I do think it changes. I do think um, it also changes in a bad way. There's a lot of instant gratification, meaning like, I'm putting this out there, therefore you have to say you like or you don't like. There's a, that expectation of other people's opinions. That annoys me a lot, and that's why I don't do it. Uh, I think it's a lot of your time uh, that I don't have. Um, and I do think that, you know, when you used to people watch or, you know, just enjoy the moment of maybe doing nothing, it's very rare that you don't see anybody doing nothing. It's like everybody has something to do all the time it's very it's it's kind of striking it, it has changed the behavior and you see it in younger generation the um, concentration spam in a long class of uh, over an hour sometimes it's hard to keep the attention going without going you know <laughs> so i'm still here so thank you so one you also mentioned uh, what it's like to work with a living choreographer, a choreographer yes. who's in the room. And that's something that we do quite a lot of here at yes. San Francisco Ballet, and Thankfully. particularly this year when we have Unbound coming up, which 
as I'm sure many of the people in this audience know, maybe all of you, is 12 new works by 12 choreographers premiering in April. Mm -hmm. So do you mind talking a little bit about maybe one or two of the choreographers who you had the opportunity to work with this year? Yes. I mean, Unbound, sometimes I feel like we should call it Unleashed. You know, like (laughs) you've left everybody out and it's like trying to pick up the cats and the dogs. Um, So, yes, we have 12 new works. I am involved in three. So I can talk to you about the three that I'm involved in. I've, um, I'm doing Alonzo King's new piece, which is a long overdue collaboration. So I'm very much looking forward to um, present that. Um, he's a lovely person. I'm doing the new David Dawson. Um, and I think it's going to be a pretty amazing ballet. Um, and my third one is Ed Liang, which is somebody I've worked with and somebody I used to dance with at City Ballet. So people that I've known and Alonzo, I've, I just I have known since I've joined the company. And in addition to Unbound, we have a few other, pro- I mean, it's kind of crazy that in addition to 12 new works, we have another whole set of ballets we're doing this year. We've got a Robbins program coming up at yes. the end of March. What are you dancing in that one? I'm doing The Cage. The Queen. Have you done that before? I've actually learned it, and that was the thing with City Ballet. Like, you've learned a a bunch of stuff, and then eventually the season came along, people got injured, and I never got to do it. So this is going to be my first time. So I remember, again, the girls get their hair all puffed out, and you have to be this creature. And everybody's having a lot of fun, but it's very short. I think it's like 12 12 12 minutes. minutes. And you're like, you can't tell all that story in 12 minutes with the music that was not made for that ballet. He picked the music to make it. So pretty genius. Mm-hmm. Does it still, so when the cage premiered in 1951, it was shocking. I mean, it really, I'm sure it's like the rite of Springs, right? It's like, Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I think it really, but was. it's good. You have to shake the world a little bit. Otherwise, I mean, it's like <laughs> flat lines, just unplug, you know, Does it's not, it's not unbound. It's unplug. <laughs> Does it still feel, uh, a little shocking or different from the rest of Robbins's work all these years later? I don't know if you could call it shocking. I think if you open the internet, you could say that's shocking, some of the stuff that you see. Um, no, I do think that it's more like going back. To, it's like the history museum a little bit, you know, like you go, oh, my God, dancers can look like that. Um, that I, I find fascinating. That's why I think I love ballet so much. I just, I can't imagine that this machine, I call it the machine because it's kind of like a good car, um, can represent and make it look like you that prior mentis. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing. And you know, try to get the, because we have these funny hands, you know, that's like would be the, the, the legs and the hands. So you kind of have to get used to do that because you don't practice that. So you kind of like, you, you rehearse the cage and you go home and you, you're making pasta and you're like, oh yeah, right. It's just, it's like that, right. So you kind of, you know, it, you, you take it home with you a little bit, but I wouldn't say shocking anymore because, uh, yeah, I mean, we've evolved so much. It's like, ugh. Yeah, it's I need explosions. Whole, I need like stuff. You almost know? 70 years old now, I think. Mm-hmm. So. Um, one last one from me, and then I'll open it up to some questions from the audience. You said, you know, you call it the machine. How do you keep it up and running? Oh, yeah, the season? machine. Um, I keep it very uh, natural. I'm on water <laughs> and sleep and a lot of coffee. That's it. Don't smoke, don't drink alcohol, and uh, don't take drugs of any kinds. So... That's what I do. And uh, so far, it's working. It's definitely working. (laughs) Thank you. We'll all agree that it's definitely working. So I will open up for a few minutes of questions. I will ask that you keep them brief and that there is a question mark 
at the end. <laughs> yeah, so I'll repeat the question. The question is about Rodeo, which is on our program today and which Sophia did the premiere of here, actually, at the gala. Um, it is Justin Peck's Rodeo. Uh, it is not, ironically enough, Rodeo, but it is the same music, or it's a shortened uh, suite of songs from Aaron Copland's Rodeo, which was famously choreographed by Agnes DeMille, um, and this is Justin's own take on it, and it was first choreographed for New York City Ballet and just came here to us this year. Would you like to say anything yeah, about sure. it? Sure. Um, so I believe Justin did this for City Ballet last year, right? Two, I, two years, years ago. ago, I think, yeah. And so I guess he wanted to revisit. I mean, you know, you have a lot of people that will take a classic or a narrative and say, this is my version, and I guess... Justin felt like it was time for him to do that. So in his case, um, yeah, it's very, it's very different. So if you expect the Agnes de Mille, you're not going to see that. But, um, you know, the, the boys have a leg warmer. So for Rodeo, it's kind of like, okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess he was ready to... to tackle that one. Um, I'm not a choreographer, so it's very hard to kind of understand the, you know, how the brain works when you go, I'm ready to do a swan lake, or I'm ready to do a rodeo. I, I don't know what that takes. I don't have that talent, but uh, it's definitely very different. It's very different, and it's almost all men. It's 15 men and one, and one girl. girl. Yeah. So um, it serves as a really nice contrast to Serenade. Mm -hmm. So the question is, are there any choreographer's work that you're afraid to dance because it would be so difficult? Uh, not that I've seen walking into San Francisco Ballet. I mean, I think the most uh, physically challenging person that has walked into the doors here was Wayne McGregor, who comes from a contemporary background. So the way um, he would even just demonstrate or move that rib, rib, you know, that rib cage, I was like, whoa, uh, I don't know how I'm going to get that going. Because, you know, in ballet, you usually try to restrain that part of the body. And this was like all out and undulating and I was like uh, I don't know maybe some breathing some so that was it was not a scary in the sense that it would be painful but it's just like I don't know if I can do this you know like you question mark and you go don't know if it bends that way uh, but yeah that would that would be the one I would definitely put in the first place what workshops would you recommend for young dancers oh well anything under the sun in terms of um like a full-on classics, like a workshop on, you know, Napoli, La Silphite, all the way to Ohad Naharin for me. You can take a Gaga class and see how your body feels about doing that. But actually being able to do everything under that spectrum, I think uh, trying is key. And do it well. The question was, um, in Serenade, do you not only approach the different roles physically, but also emotionally or psychologically? Well, I think um, when it comes to Mr. B, and that's very a personal uh, thing for me, um, I think I'm always very emotional about it. Um, I know we have this funny story that those balancing ladies still speak to him in some kind of ways, and I'm certainly not feeling that way. I just, I guess I have so much respect that I guess my preparation is more to be the best I can be, even though I don't have to tell a story, but everything else has to be perfect, or at least to my best ability of that day. So 
I guess it's emotionally, but it's also physical, meaning I want to make those jump really high. I want to make those turns work. I want to make those hops work. I want to have my connection to my partner. And yeah, that's going to be my task of the day. And thank you for your compliments. Do you feel like there's a story somewhere in there in Saranon? I think Mr. B always had a story. I just think that uh, there was a lot of narrative ballets that were done already, and it was like, this has been done, I'm going to do something different, which I have a lot of respect for, because it's not easy not having um, a story to tell. Um, and he really created a style. So, but I do think, if you look at La Valse, if you look at Don Quixote, if you look... It's a little bit like the Hitchcock movie where he always appears at some point. I think, it, I think Mr. B was always in his ballets to some extent, and I'm not sure um, if, he's the, if, if he's the Wolves girl, if he wants to be with the Wolves girl. I, I, I don't know, but I always think that there's been a behind story that this is my interpretation. I'm not telling you, and he would say that apparently to dancers, I'm not telling you what the story is. You had to make it up. So it forced you as a dancer to be the dancer on stage, like you would say, you know, dog is a dog. Dancers are dancers. What you have to do is dance. And so I like that, that, that approach, but I do think there was a narrative in his brain, and you can read it or not read it. And that's kind of great. It's like you, you make it as you want. We have, so the question is, can you say something about your early training and how you got into ballet? All right, this is a very, very long time ago. Uh, so once upon a time... Um, I was a little girl, and uh, my grandmother was a uh, concert pianist, and she felt like all the kids, the great kids, should do something artistic, so um, she dropped me into the piano lesson, and I was like, don't really, you know, this black notes on that white paper is not really my thing, and she goes, then, then you know, ballet, something, and so she dropped me into the ballet class, and I was not so sure about the pink ties, little pink tutu thing, I was a bit of a tomboy, but... Eventually, it kind of did the trick. And so I was in South of France, in Nice. And um, I love the, the fact of m molding the body and having the music playing. And I had a wonderful teacher that was a little bit like a spiritual mother to me. And um, that's how I started. Luck. So the question is, can we talk about uh, the importance of the classics and classical ballet on doing these contemporary works? So, and this is just a personal point of view, um, classical ballet is still today what we train for. This is still the standard that we audition kids, that we get auditioned as professional dancers. So doing the classics and do them well is still a priority because if you can do that, most of the time you can pretty much do anything else. And everything else is a little bit of cherry on the cake, as we say. Um, working with choreographers, making things for you, maybe um, interpret stories that have, haven't been told before, um, getting to work with somebody and make it your own, I think is very important as an artist too because it makes you grow. Um, but yeah, you can't erase the classics. I, I know it sounds really exotic to say that ballet is evolving and we don't need to do that stuff, but sorry, a bar is always the same. You start in first position facing the bar and you have to face the reality. And if you think that you can do it without that, well, good luck to you, but it doesn't work. So it's kind of like, you know, a big giant lie, but no, classical ballet has its place and... Um, 
we need to still nurture it because there's unfortunately nobody else is alive to defend it. So um, I feel like it's my duty, uh, especially when you have the knowledge. If you don't have the knowledge, you know, ignorance is bliss. Wonderful. But if you do, you have to translate that and transmit it because otherwise it'll die. It's just it's like languages, you know. If you don't use them, they go. So that's my very personal opinion on that. And on that note, we are out of time. Wow. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. Enjoy the show. Thanks for listening to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. For other podcasts and audience engagement programming, please check out sfballet.org explore.